we are in a series called The Ripple Effect. Uh, we talked about priorities, and that's really what we're going to continue to talk about through the rest of this series. The first priority, that is Jesus. He has to be the center priority. We talked in depth about what that meant last week. Today we're going to talk about the second priority, which is family. And that comes only after Jesus, and nothing else comes before it. And families are interesting. There's, there's different families, dynamics. There's different uh, things that, uh, different amounts of kids. And, and kids will bring some interesting flavor to the family, won't they? How many of you have kids? You're the ones that's kind of gurgling right now among, the, among everybody in your row. Uh, there was one kid uh, that I heard of recently who had a problem uh, pronunciating certain words. He had to have a speech therapist. And he couldn't make the, the CH sound, the ch sound. And his, his speech therapist tried to get him to say chicken. And she kept on with him, and, and it kept coming out kitchen. He, he just couldn't get it. And she tried and tried with him. And, and finally, the kid was exhausted. He, he's a young fella, probably about five. And, and every time she would say, no, it, it's ch chicken, he would say kitchen and just couldn't get it. And trying not to just completely exasperate the child. And in one last-ditch effort, she said, let me try one more time. She said, all right, listen, it's ch-ch-chicken. And the little fella just looked up at her and let out this long sigh. Can we just call it a duck? Say <laughs> <laughs> it would be easier if we, could just, if we could just call it a duck. Let me ask you a question. When, when it comes to your families, how many of you, you came to know and live for Jesus mainly because you had a mom and a dad? Who live for Jesus. Can you just raise your hand maybe? Just say my mom and dad were, so I'm a second generation Christian. How many of you, your grandparents fell in love with Jesus and so you're actually a third generation Christian? Has any, anybody's grandparents fell in love with Jesus a long time ago? How many of you are just really excited the fact that, you know what, I'm a first generation Christian. I'm the first one in my family to be able to, you know, accept Christ. That's, that's a good place to be for you specifically. Um, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your immediate family. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but what percentage of your family is in love with Jesus today? If you could just think about that. Would it be 50% of your family that's just die hard in love with Jesus? Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's somewhere around 30 to 40% of your family that's just sold out to Christ. Maybe, maybe for you it's kind of 10 to 20%. And I think in a room this size, uh, there's many of us in here that fit into all those categories. When we think about our family, when we think about who is, who is close to God, who is kind of maybe not there yet, and maybe some, some of us have family members who are far away from God. That's, that's just a reality. And I think the point that I'm trying to make as we talk about family is that we all can think of people in our family who need the love of Jesus Christ in their lives. Would you agree with that? We, we all know people in our family who need Jesus. And frankly, we all know people that we would love to see come to Christ, to come to know his goodness and to trust in him. And so today we're going to talk about the priority of family. And the first week we talked about four truths about uh, priorities. And I just want to quickly recap those. The first truth is this, that priorities must flow from the inside out. It starts with Jesus, it goes to family, and then church and community and the model that we're using. And if you remember the first week, we, we talked about it being like a ripple effect, like dropping a, a pebble into a pond. You remember that? And when that center splash hits, it creates a ripple that goes outward. 
And that center splash being your number one priority, which is Jesus, it sets the pace and it sets the intensity for the rest of the ripples as they go outward. And so it has to start from the inside and priorities work their way out. And whatever happens on the inside is what ends up breathing life into the rest of the priorities. And so we know that Jesus Christ has to be the first priority and it breathes life into the rest of them. So priorities, they have to flow from the inside out. Um, the second truth is if an inside circle is weak, it lowers the potential for all the other circles. It's kind of like trying to build a foundation starting on floor number two or three. That can't happen, can it? So if that first priority is weak, it's going to limit the potential of all the circles outside of it. Um, truth number three, if an outside circle takes priority over an inside circle, that's called putting the cart before the horse. You ever heard that? Then what happens? There's chaos. And so if you think about the ripple effect, like putting a, a pebble into a pond, and, but yet we respond to an outside circle first, a pressure point, because we just we run to it, then it's like taking another pebble and throwing it into the pond. And so what happens, instead of that nice orderly ripple effect that we see with just one splash in the middle, now all of a sudden there's other splashes. And those splashes, when we respond to those things, they create ripple effects too. And now all of a sudden there's chaos. What was a, a beautiful orderly ripple effect starting from the inside and working its way out, now we're trying to respond to other things in our lives, and now those create ripple effects, and now there's just, there's just chaos. But truth number four, when there's order in your life, when you let it start on the inside with Jesus and let it breathe life into those other priorities, life is good. Life is good. So last week, we started with the most important, which is Jesus Christ, and we, we talked about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, listen, when you seek me first, when you put me first, and seek wanting what I want, he said, then all these other things that you feel like you need, he said, and some of them you do, there's gonna, they're going to be added to you. But you have to seek me first. And last week, we started with that. And, and last week, many of you filled out these commitment cards that said, this, this year, in 2018, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put God first with my time and with my tithe and with my talent. And I spent a lot of time, I just want you to know, praying and uh, agreeing with you, praying over those commitment cards, which are going to be mailed back to you. And there were hundreds given in all, over all the locations at the bridge. And it was overwhelming. And I'm so grateful that you decided, many of you in this very room, to put God first. Um, and so if, if you, maybe you missed last week and you weren't able to be here and you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, uh, you can catch that message on the Bridge app or online, and we'll have some commitment cards available in the front lobby for you. But we want to make sure, the whole point of this is to make sure that we get that center splash right. And, and I'm emphasizing that before we go on today, because if you don't get the center splash right, if an outside circle takes priority over an inside circle, then we're, we're, we're creating different ripple effects, and that creates chaos in your life. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. amen. You know what chaos is, right? But you know what order is, too. I'd much rather have order. So we're going to put God at the center of our priorities. And today we're going to talk about the most important human relationships that we can have. And that is, of course, that's, of course, your family. And if you make that big splash in the center, if you put God first, then you're going to have everything you need. I would even go as far as to say you're going to have the power inside of you that you need to make a real difference in the life of your family. Do you know that you bring nothing to your spouse in and of yourself? You bring good will, you bring good intentions, but at some point, if it's, that's all it is, you'll fail. When you put God first, he gives you everything you need to go the distance. 
with your spouse, when things get rocky, when things get tough, when, when your spouse needs love that you as a human being have no way of giving them because you don't have what it takes. Naturally, we drift towards things like jealousy and anger and, and, and victim mentality. But he says when, when you put uh, God at the center, you not only have everything you need for your spouse, but the rest of your family too. And, and he, here's the interesting thing. Culture says that a successful family is measured in trophies. When, when someone asks, how's your family doing? Man, we would love to be able to tell them we've got a really nice house, right? We would love to tell them that, you know, my kids have great education. We'd love to be able to tell them that I've got some type of social status with some group in the community. Um, but if you truly make Jesus the center of your priorities, then what ends up happening is the, the priorities that you set for your family begin to change. Because first of all, none of us are all of those things that I just mentioned. You might have thought you were, but you're not. <laughs> None of us are all, of, are all of those things anyway. And we begin to see that that stuff, it really doesn't last for eternity, does it? At some point, it's going to fade away. We, we lose jobs. We lose friends. Sometimes bank accounts suffer loss. None of them last. They don't satisfy forever. And it's good when we think about this because we think about putting Jesus first. What, what does he say lasts forever? Well, our souls do. Our souls last forever. And he says that the Bible is so clear. This isn't our home. The earth isn't our final destination. We're actually just passing through here. All of us are headed towards something called eternity. So we begin to also think about the things that will last forever. We begin to think about those as priorities. We begin to think about heaven a whole lot. So when it comes to putting Jesus first, and you begin to do that, really the most important question you're asking yourself is, is my family going to make it with me? When this life is said and done, is my family going to make it with me? And we all said, you know, we all thought in a minute ago, if we didn't raise our hands, we all have people in our lives called family that need Jesus. And so much more than just a big house, so much more than just what you could give them material-wise, so much more than any of that. You want to give them something in you that's going to last forever. And that's Christ at the center. So simply put, the question that I want to I want to just bog our brains today is, am I the kind of Christian that makes the gospel attractive to the people that know me the best? There was a dad recently who was walking down his hallway. He was telling us his story, and, and he walked by his teenage daughter's bedroom, and he's got lots of hopes and aspirations for her. But when he walked by, he, he saw her. She didn't see him. She was laying on her bed, and she had her Bible open, and she was, she was looking and kind of studying over the Bible verses that the pastor the week before had, had just read. He didn't go in. He just sat in the hallway and cried tears of victory. He was like, yes, she gets it. Because long before she ever gets her first car, long before he ever puts the first dollar into her college account, he wanted to know that her eternity was something that was secure. And that, that means so much more. And so at the end of our lives, we don't care about houses or things. Have you ever seen someone or heard of anybody laying on their deathbed going, you know, I just want to make sure that I have a lot of stuff. <laughs> I just want to make sure that, that this stuff is, is going to be here. No, when we put God first, all we want to know is are we going to heaven and are the people that we care about going with us? We want to know that we did our part to let other people see Christ in us. Or is anybody tracking with me so far? So today, I want to talk about five things that I must be, not just do. We can make Christianity about doing, but really it's about being something, isn't it? Five things that we must be to make this happen, to make sure that we are people in our everyday lives that, that offer something real to the family members that we love the most. Now, I didn't mean there are certain family members that you love better than others. 
What I'm saying is the people in our lives that we love the most, being our family. First one is this. Everybody say five things first. Right. All right. Good. You're awake. Number one, I must be with Jesus. I must be with Jesus. Listen, we can say that we have Jesus at the center of our lives, but if, if we really don't know who he is, then we're not going to be effective in our own lives, much less someone in our family. You can't give what you don't have. So we can't just say it. We have to be it. But here's the thing. When you've been with Jesus, it shows. When you've been with Jesus, it shows. And now we all have family members that we would just love as humans to walk in and go, listen, I've got my act together. Now you should too. Because it's not about being perfect, but we can very easily act like that, and we can very easily kind of barge in. But here's the interesting thing. They already know you. They know the real you, okay? Come on, everyone just take a deep breath with me. They know your junk. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be very difficult sometimes to walk in with that kind of attitude. They already know you. But when you have a real experience with Jesus, when you've been with Jesus, you don't have to say that. You just live your life in front of them, and it's something that they can see. It's something that they can see on your face. You don't have to try so hard to impress them. You don't have to Bible beat them. You don't have to, you know, walk in there and memorize the top five scriptures or that you're just waiting for them to say something so that you can, you can kind of Bible beat them. They can feel it. They can sense it in the way you respond to things. They, they can feel it down deep inside of them that you're not the same person that you used to be. They know something is different about you. Why? Because you've been with Jesus. And one of the best examples that we have in the Bible of this is uh, a story about a woman who was at a well. Remember that you probably heard the story of the woman at the well? And it's a Samaritan woman, and she's at this well, and Jesus comes along, and they had this exchange and that literally changes her life. And John chapter 4 tells the story. And she comes to this well. The well's been in her family literally for generations. And she's got this small village there. And, and Jesus was standing there. Mind you, Jesus is just passing through, him and his disciples. The disciples had, had gone off into the town to buy food. So Jesus is there alone. And this woman comes up at this well. And Jesus points to the well. And this is what he says in verse 13. He just says, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty. The water I give will become a spring of water gushing up inside that person, giving eternal life. And then he begins to tell her about her life. In verse 18, he just comes out with it. He looks at her and says this. You've had five husbands, and the man that you live with now is not your husband. That's pretty intense. Now, understand, he was not beating her up for those choices. He was basically confronting the sin in her life, saying that, listen, you've been trying to satisfy this deep hurt, this deep void inside of you with human relationships, and you can't do it. He says, you, you keep coming trying to fill this void. You keep looking around trying to fill this God-shaped void inside of you with human stuff, with, with temporal things. He said, and it's never going to satisfy. He said, it drives you. It keeps driving you, and you keep coming back, but it ends up just making you thirstier and thirstier spiritually. And it was a perfect picture of what we are so capable of doing today, isn't it? We have this God-shaped void inside of us, but we try to fill it with all this stuff. Our hearts are broken because someone leaves. And so instead of letting God fill that space where we can truly be satisfied, we try to put another person there only, to be, uh, only for them to fail us. Or we, we, we try to fill it with things like uh, material stuff. So we go shopping, and there is not enough money on this planet to fill an eternal problem down deep inside of you when you fill it with temporal things. 
That's called trying to satisfy an eternal problem with a temporary solution. And God was saying, you got to get rid of the temporary solutions. And he's saying it to us today. He's saying, but when you come to me, I will fill that God-shaped void inside of you, and I just won't do it temporarily. He was telling her, I'll do it for eternity. You'll never thirst again. It's, it's long-lasting. Now, how do you think she responded to that? No, I just think I'm going to continue on this downward spiral that I'm in. <laughs> no, she, listen to what she says in verse 15. She says, sir, give me this water so that I'll, I'll never be thirsty again, and I will not have to keep coming back here to this well to get more water. And in this moment, it started this conversation, and by the end of the conversation, she was completely changed from the inside out. Okay, listen, this woman had had five husbands, and the man that she was with was not her husband. She was working on a sixth one. And you may be asking, and she was really changed. You may be asking the same thing maybe that you've asked yourself whenever you changed after your long past. Who in the world is going to believe her? I mean, she goes back into town in, in just a minute in the story, and she begins to tell about this. Who's going to believe her? And you may have thought the same thing whenever you first came to Christ. Who's going to believe me with, with the past that I live, with the people that I used to run around with? What, what are they going to think whenever I tell them that me myself, I have been changed somehow by God. Who, who is going to believe me? She may have been thinking that, but it didn't stop her. She goes right back into this small village, and she says this in verse 29. Come and see a man who knew all about the things that I did, who knows me inside and out. She, she's just saying this. Come see this man who knows me inside and out. He knew everything that I did. He knows me. He's changed me. Now, this is an extremely small village. Families in this day and time, in this era, they would kind of group together. They would stay together, meaning she was more than likely related to a lot of them, if not all of them. They were family. They were family. They knew what she would done. They, they knew everything about her. She knew that they knew what she had done. And she didn't come at them with, I've got my act together. Now, you should too. It was more like this. You guys are my family. You know me. You know what I've done. But I have met somebody who's helped me. Not, not just temporarily. I have met somebody who has, who has looked in the deep inside of my soul and changed something inside of me. The satisfaction that I have now, it, it doesn't satisfy like any of these other guys did and any of these, these other relationships. It satisfies me way down deep. And I want you to meet this man too. Please come and see him. And so she comes at them with this plea. How? How in the world was she able to be believable? Can, can you, I just ask you that? What, what do you think their response was after a woman that had lived that kind of lifestyle comes to them and says, I'm changed? How was it that she was believable? I'm going to tell you why. Because she had been with Jesus. And it wasn't just behavior modification that had changed, but her soul had changed. We, we can change our behavior modification. We can turn over new leaves. We can try something, but that never is going to show anything because that's just on the surface. Until we have a, a, an encounter, a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ and the, the condition of our soul begins to change from the inside out, that's whenever you'll be believable. And that's why she was believable. With the history that she had in one encounter with Jesus Christ, the condition of her soul had changed and it showed on her face. And that's the difference between making behavior modifications and your soul changing. That's when a woman who had five husbands and working on a sixth can say she's changed and be believable. And so she goes in verse 39, 
It says this. Here's the proof. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of this woman's witness. And so one by one, her, her family begins to turn to Jesus Christ, not necessarily for any other reason, the scriptures say, other than that they saw the difference in her. They saw what, what she had because she had been with Jesus. Now, I can't guarantee if you have this encounter with Jesus Christ that every single person in your family is going to come to Jesus. The Bible doesn't even say that everybody in the town did. But verse 39 says that many people committed to him because of her witness. Verse 41 says that a lot more became believers. Here's what I can guarantee. Your best hope of reaching your family, the ones you were thinking about earlier when I asked, it begins with you putting Jesus at the center of who you are. It begins with you having a real encounter with Jesus Christ. It begins with you submitting yourself to him and saying, God, I I don't just want to change my behavior, but I I want you to be at the center of my being. I want you to work in me from the inside out. I just, I lay every other thing down. And then watch what happens. I must be with Jesus. Number two, say number two. Number two, I must be the real deal. Did you know that no one likes a fake? When you've been with Jesus, man, you, you, you can't come with fakeness. you got to come with real. A lot of people think that Christians are the fakest people out there. Did you know that? Maybe some of you in here today kind of used to have that same mentality. And I just got to be honest with you, that's fair. Because a lot of people perceive Christianity as these uppity-up hypocrites with their list of do's and don'ts that they can't even follow themselves. That's whenever we're not trying to be real. Well, we're just trying to, to fake something. But truthfully, the people that really are the biggest critics of it, really down deep, they have a God-shaped void inside of them too. You want to know why? Because they're human beings. And they are, they are looking for something real to change them. But they see the fakeness that so-called Christians and Jesus followers put on, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. So if you are going to be an influence in the life of your family, you have got to be real you got to let it change you. And do you know whenever they're going to know that you are the real deal? You know when they're going to believe it? You know when what your life, what you say you are is going to be believable? It's when you're not still scrambling to try to fill that God-shaped void inside of you. It's when you say you have God in your life, but you're still going after human relationships to try to fill that void. And, and you're still trying to spend X amount of dollars to try to fill that void. And, and, and you say you, you're, you're a Christian, but you still got anxieties and worries in your life that you haven't submitted to God. And so you're, you're in this tailspin. But you're in church every week, but you're in this tailspin. I went to church today, but yet my life's falling apart. You know when you're going to be believable? You know when I'm going to be believable, Pastor Ryan? You know when Pastor Ryan's going to be believable? You know when we're all going to be believable? Is whenever we let God take the control of the center of our lives and we begin to put our trust in him. Not to say we don't have hard times, but when we do, at some point, people should see a progression in us. They should look at us and say, you know what? They're not handling that like many of the other people I see going through that same thing handle it. They, they have, yes, they're hurting, but they have a peace down deep inside of them that shows on their face. They have a, yes, I'm going through this, but I know that God's got me type of mentality, and it comes off and it shows. You, are, you will be believable. You will be the real deal whenever you fill that God-shaped void inside of you with God and not other things. Peter says it like this in, in the Bible in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, dear brothers, in the south means, hey, y'all. He says, you're only visitors here. Since your real home is in heaven, I beg you to keep away from the evil pleasures of this world. They are not for you, for they actually fight against your very souls. 
Then in verse 12, listen. Be careful how you behave among your unsaved neighbors. For then, even if they're suspicious and they talk against you, they're going to end up praising God for your good works when Christ returns. When you're the real deal, it's going to show. He's saying it's going to be your life when you've really been with Jesus that's ultimately going to help them see that you have something real. It's not going to be your words necessarily. It's not going to be necessarily the pictures that you post on Facebook when you're at church, although I strongly suggest that you take pictures of yourself and, and, and tag all your friends. I'm a proponent of that, but don't call that Christianity. To be the real deal, there has to be something way deeper inside of you. You don't have to be perfect, but there should be a difference in your life whenever Jesus fills that God-shaped void inside of you. If you want to influence your family for Jesus, you've got to be the real deal yourself. Number three. Say number three. We're moving right along here, aren't we? Say, I must be prayerful. Say it. I must be prayerful. I must be prayerful. I, I was... Uh, listening to a guy talk about a church in Virginia recently. Uh, the church was influencing thousands upon thousands of people for Jesus Christ. They had 100 first-time commitments to Jesus every year. Huge church. Uh, 500 recommitments, meaning people that gave their life to Christ a long time ago, they, they fell away, and, and at that church, they made a recommitment to Christ. 60% of the people at that church made adult commitments to Jesus at that church. They're just reaching all these people. All these people are praying to receive Christ at the church. And of course, churches surrounding the area, they wanted to know how because they, they want to reach people for Christ too, but they just weren't having the results that they had. And, and they, they came asking questions. Well, what's your music like? You know, and what's your administration like? And how, you know, how, how do you deal with stuff behind the scenes? How do you do first-time guests? How do you all this stuff? And they said, listen, all that stuff's good. Yes, we do that. Yes, we have relevant services. But they were all shocked to find out the reason why so many people were getting saved is because the church prayed. I mean, they prayed. They were a praying church. Do you know that prayer changes things? Can, can you attest to that? Not just in the corporate setting of the church, but in your very life. Prayer changes things. And this church, they had organized prayer times together. They fasted together. They prayed And you know that, that we here right at the bridge, specifically at Goldsboro, we believe in prayer. We pray. Do you know that your prayer request, every single week, they come in and, and our staff prays over them. People on our prayer team, they pray over your prayer request because we want to see God move in your life, and we know it doesn't, it doesn't happen when we're silent. God wants to move in the lives of your family members, and, and I think it's no condemnation because I'm just as guilty sometimes, but we sit back and we wait for God to do something. When he's saying, I want you to consecrate yourself to me in prayer over, over the broken heart that you have and my broken heart for your husband or for your wife or for your kids or for your grandmother. Come to me in prayer, he says. The Bible's full of scriptures that, that talk about God valuing and encouraging your prayers to him over the people in your life that mean the most to you. And this church did that. Our church does it. Do you know that in, in four months, we've seen 12 people pray to receive Christ just here at Goldsboro? We've baptized many of them. Somebody needs to say amen to that. We baptized two just this past week. This coming up Sunday, we're going to baptize a few more. That's, that's important. That's why we do ministry around here. It's not for all the things you see and feel and hear. We do that. that we want to make services relevant. But we care more about souls going into heaven, and we do it prayerfully. What could God do in your life, in the life of your family, because you commit yourself to prayer? What, what could happen? What could happen? 
my brother, my older brother, he, this is part of his testimony, so he doesn't mind me sharing it. He ran away when he was about 15 years old. And he, he just had a hard time as a kid. He ran away. He actually hitchhiked to, to Asheboro. And he was involved in drugs. He was involved in gangs and crime. Um, and he just kind of took a, just a downward spiral. I didn't see him a whole lot whenever I was a, a teenager. Um, eventually, he made it back to Goldsboro. He was still living kind of the same lifestyle. And I took him home one night. He was at mom and dad's house. He didn't spend a lot of time there, but every now and again, he'd show up, sometimes high. Um, sometimes it involved uh, some, some really bad, bad conversations that went on between my mom and, and my dad and him. Um, at times, the police officers, they knew us by first name. Um, it wasn't anything for them to show up on a, on a given night. Some of you can relate to this. Uh, heartbreaking. I watched my mom and dad go through some heartbreaking years, and uh, he was crumbling on the inside. We didn't know just how bad. Um, I took him home one night and because uh, he didn't drive, didn't have a car. He needed to get home. So I took him home. It was, it was freezing outside, and he was living in this dump of a place. And I, I mean, it was unlivable. And I remember watching him walk up to the little place there, and I was going to sit there in the, in, the, in the truck until he got in. And he walks up, and he picks up the door, and he moves it and walks in and then puts it back. And I remember looking at that, and my heart just sank. And I remember thinking, this is a picture of a life of somebody who's made some really bad decisions and has not put God first, and, and they're hitting bottom. My dad tells a story around that same time. Him and my mom drove over there, and, and nobody didn't seem to be home. He picked up the door. It was 32 degrees inside, and he was in the, one of the back rooms sleeping on the floor. Woke him up, said, let's go get something to eat. It's the kind of life that he lived. And I, I remember thinking, we, we, this is my brother. This is, this is, you know, our family member. And my mom and dad, we, we got together with my other siblings. And we said, you know what? If we can't pray for him, then who's going to do it? And you have somebody in your life right now that's that close to you. And it, they might seem far gone. They might seem like they don't even want help. It is our responsibility as immediate family members to stand in the gap, believers standing in the gap to pray for our unsaved loved ones. And, and we begin to pray. We begin to fast. We had a family meeting. And every day of the week, from then on, somebody in our family was praying and fasting for my brother. And I, I, we didn't know later until way later on, but he desperately wanted help. He desperately wanted something on the inside of him to change. But he just, he wasn't willing to come forward and say anything about it. But we had seen enough. And we said, you know what? By the grace of God, God is going to redeem him and use him for his glory. Now, do, do you think it was easy to do that? Do you think it's easy to pray and sacrifice and fast for somebody who shows absolutely no signs of even wanting to change? It's, it's not easy at all. In fact, you get right angry sometimes. But we said we're not giving up. This is not a, this is not a, a physical problem. This is not a, a fleshly thing. Our enemy is not him. The word says that our, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against Satan. That's who's the real enemy behind the whole thing. That's who's gripped his life. That's who, for whatever reason, he's deciding to give in to all this stuff. Our battle's not with him. Let's pray for him. Let's lift him up. Let's sacrifice. I don't care what he does or doesn't do. Let's do it and watch what God does. You know what he's doing today? He's saved. He made that decision a long time ago. It, I mean, it took a long time. It was hard. It was hard to wait. And some of you may grow impatient and like, why am I still doing this? It's been years. Listen to what 2 Peter 3 and 9 says. This may encourage you. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Listen, God is not slow. 
Sometimes we think that it's, God is just being slow or they're never going to do it. Listen, as some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And when God does it in his timing, everything's going to be complete. And sometimes they have to go to the very bottom sometimes in order to look up and see God's grace. Lower than you could ever go with them. And sometimes as a mama or a daddy, that's hard to comprehend. But sometimes they got to go lower than the place that you can even go. But guess who is down there? God and his endless love and grace. That's when the scripture says that though sin abounds, his grace is greater. And we begin to pray for him. He's, he's married to this beautiful Christian girl today. <laughs> he's got four beautiful daughters. He loves Jesus because he's been with him. He, he, he has a, a joy way down deep inside of him. He serves at his church. He's a great musician. Is he perfect? <laughs> nope. None of us are. Raise your hand if you are, and we'll all just worship you right here. <laughs> None of us are perfect. But he, is he drastically different than he was years ago? Absolutely. Absolutely he is. Yes. And if you ask anyone in our family, was it worth the years of sacrificing and praying, every single one of us will just resound with this, yes, yes, it was. You may have somebody in your family right now that needs God, and they're out in left field. Let me tell you something. Become prayerful. Don't just let it be something you do occasionally. Let it be something that you are. Be prayerful. Stand in the gap for your family members. Does prayer work? Does prayer work? It does. It does. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Start with verse 19. He said, I also tell you this. If two of you agree down here on earth concerning anything you ask for, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together because they're mine, in my name, I will be right there among with them. So I just want to ask you that question again. What could God do in your family this year because you decide that you're going to be prayerful? What could he do? What could he do? When it comes to the priority of family, I must be with Jesus. I must be the real deal. I must be prayerful. Number four. Say number four. You ready for a tough one? This is the last one. I must be a forgiver. I must be a forgiver. Let's be honest. We all come from dysfunctional families in some level. Mine certainly was on many levels. <laughs> I could spend a whole series talking about the Barbado family, and you, you would all pray for me. <laughs> we've, we've come a long way. But we all come from dysfunction, and the result, lots of times, is a hotbed of hurts in our family. It is. And so we all sit in here today, and many of us don't talk to our siblings, or many of us don't talk to a certain person, because there's hurt there, unresolved, unforgiven. And some of us are just waiting for that other person to make the first move, you can't do that. God said, if, if you're going to influence your family, then the first move is yours, according to you and him. And that you got to be a forgiver. Everybody gets hurt. So if you want to be a godly influence in, in the lives of your family members, then you have to decide in advance, when somebody hurts me, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. Not, you know, I, I might forgive or I'm going to try my best when the time comes. You always have to look at your hurt and, and what somebody did to you in the light of what the grace that Jesus gave you. You have to every time. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, then you can't be forgiven yourself. We, we have to be forgivers, and we have to say, I choose now to forgive. Now, here's the interesting thing about hurt. When you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you don't hurt anymore. 
That's like saying my emotional state determines whether or not I'm going to do something eternal or not. My emotional state, temporal, because our emotions can go up and down depending on what the air conditioning does in the room, right? Temporal emotions is going to lead something, a decision I make for eternity? I don't think so. That's completely different. Our emotions are meant to aim us. I'm angry. I'm hurt, meaning I'm aimed at a, a, something that says i got to have a solution. Now, how I walk forward, that's got to be led by truth, the Word of God. God, how do you want me to respond? My emotions say I need a resolution in my life, but I'm not making a move with my emotions because I'm going to say something I don't mean. I'm going to act in a way that I can't take back, and I'm going to end up hurting somebody. Amen. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with being angry. But we can't let it lead us. Let it aim you. And then say, I want the truth of God to lead me. And he will always lead you in forgiveness. It doesn't mean you're not hurting anymore. And once you've asked for forgiveness, you've done your part. Now, you may go home and you may hurt for another month and a half or, or longer. It doesn't mean you didn't forgive just because you hurt. It means you need to go back before God and say, God, I have already forgiven this person. And, and I just want you to remind me of that. And I choose to look at myself through your eyes and imagine myself at the foot of the cross needing forgiveness. And that's how I choose to see the person that hurt me. You cannot forgive somebody when you're looking through the lens of self-defense. You have to look at them through the lens of the grace of God that you received and still need and forgive. Go to God as many times as you need to. Sometimes it's every 10 minutes. Sometimes it's every day. But you keep doing that. You keep remembering the forgiveness that God gave you. I'm talking to somebody in the room this morning. I know I am. You, you may be hurting. It doesn't mean you didn't forgive, but you keep asking. You keep saying, God, I know I forgave. I forgive. Name the person out loud. Let God just transform you from the inside out. Do your part, because if you don't, bitterness is going to take root inside of you. It does every single time. Unresolved hurt in your life always equates to bitterness when there's no forgiveness. Every time. And the book, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, it warns us. He says, look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessings. How many of you want God's best blessings in your life? How many of you want them in the lives of your family members, your kids and your, your family? He says, make sure that you don't fail to find them. Then he says this, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you because it springs up and it causes deep trouble hurting many people in their spiritual lives. If we are going to influence our family for God, there has got to be some forgiveness in our family. And let it start with you so that no bitterness takes a root in our family and it causes trouble in their spiritual lives. We want to influence them for God. You can't control what other people do, but you can stop a bitter root from growing in your soul. Forgive. I must be a forgiver. And it looks like this. I let go of my desire to get them back. I begin to pray for them and call them by name. And I'm going to tell you, some hurts come with some, some pain whenever you call someone's name out. Sometimes you, just, you don't even want to say the name on your tongue because it just makes you hurt all over again. Call out their name. God, I, I just pray for you fill in the blank. And then i like, it hurts, Lord. <laughs> he can handle that. It hurts for me to say that, God, but I'm here as real and as raw as I am to forgive that person because I don't want any bitterness to take root in me. I want to be forgiven by you just like I'm forgiving them. I can't do it in and of myself, but I know you can help me. Call their name out and then start seeing them through the eyes of the same grace that God gave you. When you decide you're not going to forgive somebody, then I want you to imagine yourself standing before Jesus and him saying the same thing to you. Let me tell you something. That's a bigger hurt than anything anyone could ever do to you. God, I forgive that person because I'm seeing you 
looking at me, and I'm just so grateful to have the forgiveness that you gave me. How can I not give it to somebody else, even though it hurts? Go with me, Lord, help me. Start somewhere with him. I got to be with Jesus. I have to be the real deal. I have to be prayerful, and I have to be a forgiver if I am going to influence my family for Jesus Christ. These are the things that I must be as I put Jesus at the center of my life. Let me ask you this. What does your family look like? I just want you to imagine them. I want you to imagine your kids. I want you to imagine your mom or your dad if you're a teenager in the room. I just want you to imagine your immediate family right around you. And I want you to imagine what it means to, to influence them. I want you to picture their little faces. I want you to picture their hearts. I want you to picture them. Even if some of them hurt you, you want them in heaven with you, don't you? This is a picture of, of what my family looks like, me and my children. I have given my life to speaking about the gospel of Jesus Christ from a stage in any capacity God gives me. I have committed my life to reaching people for Jesus and changing hearts through his power. But if I fail them, if I don't influence them for Jesus, then I myself am a, am a failure in my own eyes. They've, they've got to be first to me. I've got to influence them for Jesus Christ. Listen to me. I've, I, who, who is it in your family? What, what do they look like? I've decided to take what the scripture says and apply it to my own life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe you're going to say the same thing today because at the end of your life, you're not going to care about money. You're not going to care about things. You're not going to care about all the things that you want to give to them. You know what you're going to care about? You're going to care about them getting to heaven. You're going to care about the eternal things of their heart. So why not start now and invest in becoming a person that's going to influence them, not just in the temporal things, but in the things that point them towards heaven where they're going to spend eternity. Would you agree with me with that? If that's you, I just want you to stand up with me today. And what you're saying by standing up is I want to influence my family for Jesus Christ. If then if that's not you and you're just not ready to make that decision today, I don't want you to necessarily feel like you have to stand up. We're in a room here where we, we accept everyone. I don't care where you are in your spiritual journey. My hope is that you begin to ask questions and that you begin to have an honest dialogue with somebody, maybe just a personal evaluation of yourself. But as you stand here today, I want you to just think of your family members that need Christ. Think about your kids, if you have young kids or teenagers, that they need you. They need your influence. God wants to use you, you. He wants to use you in a powerful and mighty way in their lives, just like he did the woman at that well that day. Her whole town turned upside down, even with the life that she lived because of one encounter with Jesus Christ. She began to put Jesus at the center. It showed all over her face, and boy, the whole town turned upside down. What could God do in your family because of your commitment to put him at the center? Our prayer team is going to come up to the front, and as they do, I just want you to, to think about this, everything we've said today. And maybe you haven't put Jesus at the center quite yet. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm ready to do that today. I want to give you the opportunity. There's our prayer teams down here at the front. If you want to have prayer with somebody to help you pray, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And as I do, if you just want to agree with me, God hears your heart. It's not some magical, mysterious, uh, hard-to-grasp thing. God says, when you believe in me, I start with that. 
So I just want you to aim your heart at him and let's pray together. God, we accept you today. We, we can't live without you. We, we're, we, we can't do it ourselves and make it. We're not perfect, but Jesus, you are perfect. And we want to put you at the center of our lives and let you dictate and let you lead what we do. Not lording over us, God, but first you came to serve us. You served us by dying in our place. God, we accept that grace and make you the Lord of our lives this day. I believe that you really came to this earth and died. I believe that you really rose again. And I believe that you're in heaven right now. I'm not perfect, but I aim my heart at you. I just, I want you to be at the center of my life, God. And I want you to help me. Help me. Help me do the things that we've talked about today. Help me to be with you every day. Help, help me to come to you even when it hurts. Help me to be real in my life, not be fake, not just say one thing and do the other, but help me be real to my family, God, first of all. Help me be prayerful, understanding that you want me to, to come to you, Lord, and ask things and present my request to you. Lord, help me to forgive. God, there's people in this room right now that are carrying some heavy hurts, and it feels like poison sometimes on the inside of us. It feels like a, a physical weight that we're carrying around physically. It feels that way. And Lord, I, I just pray for freedom right now. Your word says where the spirit of God is, there is, there is freedom and there's fullness of joy. Lord, I, some of us don't even know how to let go of that weight. We don't know how to forgive. Lord, I pray that you meet us right here in this very room and begin to change our hearts as we just simply say in our hearts. Maybe some of you want to say it out loud. I don't know. It's up to you. But I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. And Lord, if we're honest, we don't even know what that means in terms of how we're supposed to go forward. But we just, we don't start with the other person. We start with you. I choose to forgive. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd give the strength, the wisdom. I pray that you'd give the empowerment to be able to walk every single day and know that you are right there with them. Every time that they feel that hurt, every time that they feel the pain, every time that they're tempted to run the other direction and retaliate, Lord, that you, you call us back and you say, remember, remember, you've, you've already forgiven and I forgive you. Walk in forgiveness. I pray we, we'd respond to that today. Not let it just be something that Pastor Ryan prays from the platform, but that there'd be some real life change right now happening, happening in this very room. God, I thank you that you're here with us. I thank you that you are changing our priorities, God, as we give ourselves to you first and foremost. I'm so grateful for you. Can you I, I'm just, I don't always do this, but I just want you to take just a minute, and I'm going to shut up. <laughs> and I just want you to kind of just talk to God in your heart. Maybe respond to him in some way that you're feeling down deep.
God, thank you for our time together today. Lord, as we leave this room, we don't want our prayer to cease. We, we don't want our worship to cease. We want to just walk with you right out of here, knowing that you're everywhere all at one time. You're with us, and you love each of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Can we say amen together? If you've made a spiritual decision today, please let us know. Indicate it on your prayer card or your connect card. Um, just check off one of those boxes or tell us how we can pray for you. Our ushers are going to be at the back as you, as you leave, and you can place those right there in the basket. Um, let us know. We want to connect with you. We want to pray for you. We don't want you to walk through this life alone. If you have some prayer needs, our prayer team's going to be up here just a little bit longer if you want to come. If you're here for the first time today, thank you so much for coming. Um, I would love to meet you. I'm going to be hanging out in the front lobby right over here by the couches. So just when you come by, please shake my hand. Um, tell me it's your first time so I know. I'd love to put a face with a name and, and meet you for the first time. Love you guys very much. I'm so glad you were here today. I'll see you next week.